Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, stay home. That is the message from the Ontario government. And if you have to ask yourself if you're making an essential trip, chances are it's not essential. Emergency Measures Act now invoke giving police officers extra power to make sure you do stay home. What does that mean to you? Where are we when it comes to vaccinations? Supply versus distribution. Do we have enough? They are going to impeach President Trump. What happens after that? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Scott's son. My dad blew a denture yesterday and needed an emergency pit stop. I don't have dentures. But don't worry, the better Scott filled in. He's back upright and retaining fluids, although a little wobbly. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson. I don't know what's more painful. That or going to the dentist? Holy smokes. Um, I, I think like uh, south of the border, we've created a monster here. Uh, good afternoon. It is 1210. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine back at the station keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show on the air. Feel free to jump into the conversation. We would love to hear from you. Uh, as always, you know how to do it. Uh, podcast edition of the commentary. Facebook, Twitter, send us a note. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Phone lines always open. All right. Um, uh, obviously, uh, a, a very, very... Uh, uh, concerning uh, news conference, a uh, series of news conferences yesterday certainly uh, got the attention of a lot of people. And here's a, a sample of what the Premier said yesterday. Effective immediately, Ontario is declaring a state of emergency. We expect this to remain in place for at least 28 days. Further, I'm issuing a stay-at-home order effective Thursday at 12.01 a.m. Under this order, everyone must stay home and only go out for essential trips to pick up groceries or go to medical appointments. The dangerous and very dangerous UK strain of COVID is being found across the province. Ontario had eight new cases confirmed today. And if we don't move fast, our hospital ICUs could be overwhelmed by the first week of February. No more than ever, we need, I need, you to do your part. Stay home, save lives, protect our health care system. All right, that's a sample of what the Premier had to say yesterday at his news conference. A lot of people uh, cranky about the stay at home. Some people saying it's too much. Other people saying it's not enough. Other people saying, I don't know what the heck it means. And, um, yeah, the explanation that the the, the Ontario government has sent out today, I'm not sure that that... uh, that helps much at all. All right, uh, let's keep talking about this. Uh, the modeling numbers from yesterday, obviously, uh, the stay-at-home order that we are that we are seeing, and we'll hear more about uh, in about thirty minutes' time. And vaccinations, where we are, uh, we do keep hearing that there's lots of vaccinations that are sitting uh, in freezers at places, uh, and yet we're hearing other hospitals that are running out. Um, at the end of the day, uh, if we had enough supply and there was a great supply coming in, would we be having the conversation about whether we should be using the second dose or not? And I would suggest no. So I, I think distribution was an issue for uh, Ontario and for other all provinces, I think. I think Nova Scotia is getting the heat today uh, for the, you know the uptake on this coming out of the holidays. But I, I really think that part of this story is, is outdated now and that the provinces, for the most part, have caught up. Uh, the issue is the supply that's coming in. 20 million doses uh, announced from the Prime Minister yesterday, but those aren't coming in tomorrow. Those come in over the course of between now and September. And we've also heard uh, at this rate, we will not meet the vaccination record or the vaccination goal of September. Let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, medical doctor, health policy expert. He is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're being well. Thanks for having me. 
So your thoughts first, uh, Doctor, on the numbers that we saw yesterday. Well, I mean, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. The numbers indicate to us the severity of the issue. But more closely, what we were looking at, Scott, right now is our hospitals, our health systems. So the big concern now, especially with the Emergency Act in place, is to protect our healthcare workers. And so that in case, even if you don't have a COVID-related illness, but you have another emergency, you're able to seek the care at the right time, at the right place. That's not the case anymore with our hospitals being close to full capacity, if not over. So, uh, obviously, uh, the message came out yesterday. Some are saying that this did not go far enough. Others are saying it's too far. Uh, others are saying, uh, I'm not sure what the message was. Um, it certainly was uh, obviously um, uh, pretty sobering, to say the very least. Your thoughts, of, uh, uh, your thoughts about uh, the restrictions moving forward, what we have, and the message that is coming across here. Well, I think the two big words that come to surface when you think about the messaging yesterday around the lockdowns is that confusion and lack of clarity. Um, And I understand that's probably more than two words that I just said. But the reason why I say that, Scott, is that when you talk to people, including health policy experts like myself, we're a bit frustrated to say that, you know, there's a lack of consistency in the messaging around how we're going to use the policy tools available to the government to get ahead of this pandemic. The reason why I say this is that if you talk to anybody on the streets right now, they'll tell you that, you know, we're a little bit confused how this new measure is different than what we had in place already. And I can explain this to the public by saying that the new measures that were announced yesterday is primarily to give the legal tools for uh, bylaw officers and other uh, professionals within the government that can actually issue tickets. So it's providing the legality behind enforcing what already exists. I'm not sure there's anything new or, or, or you know, profound about the announcement yesterday beyond the fact that now you can get into legal trouble if you break the law. Um, Are there other levers that we could be pulling or have we exhausted that? I mean, full lockdown, curfew, your thoughts? I love that question, Scott, because there was a recent study that looked at other countries and the policy tools that were made available. So by policy tools here, we mean like curfews, outdoor masking policy, closure of schools, paid sick leave for employees. So those are all policy tools that government officials can use to get ahead of this pandemic. And when you look at other countries in the world, no shocking, Australia, Victoria specifically, comes as number one. It will stand as a success story for COVID. And the reason behind that is that they literally, when you go down the list of tools available in that country, their government officials decided to put all of them in place. So they had uh, forced outdoor masking, curfew in place. Uh, everybody is supposed to work from home unless you're a, a super essential worker. And by that, I mean you're either a grocery store or you're a healthcare provider. They made very little exceptions to who is considered an essential healthcare worker. They gave paid sick leave. The point I'm trying to make is that when we look at other countries that use all the tools available to them, they actually now have almost zero cases of COVID-19. Life is back to normal, Victoria, Australia being one. Other countries like us, have picked and choose uh, from this basket of tools we have, I'm not sure it works out well in our advantage. So history proving more restrictions earlier on were the way to go. Yes, and not just history too. I mean, we're living it right now. We're looking at other countries that have put into stricter measures early on. And this is something that a lot of the public in Canada have been asking, given the announcement yesterday, that why were those measures not put on earlier before the holidays when we knew we're heading here? And so those are questions that we still need answers for. And But I think there's a lot of pressure, Scott, to be honest with you, on the government right now is to actually put measures ahead of time and not have those repeated again. So uh, obviously a stay-at-home order uh, coming up uh, later today or, or early tomorrow morning, rather. Uh, we're supposed to hear more on this in, in just under a half hour and such. Um, is this going to do enough? Is this going to, is this going to help? Is this going to at least contain what we have? It will only help if more of us just stay home. And so yeah. the virus can't get to us uh, if we stay home. Um, and so the, the point here is not so much about the severity. I think we all understand now the severity of COVID-19. We all also understand that even if I'm not affected by COVID-19 or a loved one, is that if I get in a car accident or I, I fall on the stairs of my house or I get injured, if I go to the hospital, I'm probably not going to get the best care in the right time because the system is so overburdened. So the reason why I, I raised that uh, point, Scott, is because I think it's important that we educate ourselves that 
you know, this is not just about COVID-19. It's about the entire system itself that we rely on on a daily basis and that we sometimes take for granted. And so will those measures, those new Emergency Act measures work? I, I hope so. Uh, I'm not optimistic. I'll be very honest. I think that uh, we need a lot more strict measures to make sure this happens. We also need aggressive vaccination plans. Listen, at the end of the day, we need to be using every tool at our disposal to make sure that, you know, I don't want to live this pandemic for much longer. And so whatever it takes for us to, you know, live in an emergency, not a pandemic, that would be great. Uh, You brought up the vaccination. This has been an ongoing debate now um, in regard to uh, the speed in which Canada is vaccinating. Uh, One percent of vaccinate. One percent of the country is now vaccinated. uh, And I believe that uh, B.C., Alberta, Quebec uh, and PEI are the ones that are above one percent. The rest uh, at or below one percent. So sort of all hovering in in that one percent threshold area. Uh, Canadians are completely complaining that this is uh, this is too slow. Um, is this because there are lots of vaccinations that are sitting in freezers that are not being used? We heard that the prime minister said yesterday another 20 million doses of the Pfizer, but those aren't arriving anytime soon. And we also heard yesterday that at the rate at which we're doing this and supply is coming in, we will not reach our goal of vaccinating uh, the majority or all of Canadians who want it by by September. So what is the situation here, uh, doctor? Uh, are there lots of vaccinations that are sitting around in freezers not going used? Well, in Ontario, what we hear from the government is that that's not the case, that, you know, there is no vaccinations really in freezers, that they're doing the best effort they can to get those vaccinations into the arms of people. And we have to believe that. I think it's very hard to for them to lie about that fact. So uh, I think that the... the, the well, we just had we an doing... expert on, we just had an expert on that said, like, right now there's 50,000 doses sitting in freezers, but then those will be gone in three to four days as the next shipment arrives. So again, I mean, it's not like they're, they're stockpiling anywhere. They're going out as fast as they're coming in, no? Well, they are. That's exactly it, Scott. So they are coming, they're coming out as soon as they come in. I think the issue, the reason why we're hearing a lot about it is that the provinces are putting pressure on the federal government to secure more of the vaccines. So I think the reason why you're hearing such strong narrative about why is the vaccine not coming out, why we're choosing one dose and delaying the second dose further, it's all tactics employed by the provincial government. And in a way, it's, it's smartly done so to put pressure on the federal government to make sure that we secure more vaccines enough for all Canadians for two doses. And it's also pushing provincial government to really make sure that they're getting that vaccine out and they're not mm-hmm. delaying it. We're not also the only country facing that issue. Uh, all countries in the world who are currently doing their vaccination are, are thinking about different ways they can actually get that as fast as possible to the general population. I, I, I share everybody's sentiment that I think we need to do a better job of making sure as many vaccines are given out as possible. And and again, legitimately, this was a story back at the end of the holiday when everybody was trying to ramp up because they didn't expect stuff till till January. Then the new batch came in just before Christmas. So, um, but but it seems fascinating to me that we're still having you know there's still people and and still medical people uh, saying that that you know these should not be sitting in freezers. Yet we're having the debate on whether to use someone's second dose or not. So again, why are we even having the debate about the second dose and using it if we have tons of it lying around. Yeah, and so we, I, I, I'm really grateful that you brought this out. I think we need a very clear indication from the government precisely how many are left behind. I mean, this is the issue about transparency, right? We need to know how many of the vaccines are currently in stock and, and, and when are they going to be taken out of stock and actually been given out to individuals, first of all, healthcare providers uh, and essential care services and long-term care center homes. And so that is a very key thing moving forward. And, and my hope is that the provincial government actually acts on that. I think we're hearing a lot of strong, I mean, yesterday at the premier's press conference, a journalist have called out the premier, the premier on this and asked for explicit data. We are all looking for that information on how many are actually currently in the freezers and how many are being deployed out. I mean, there's also the, a slow process of figuring out where you're going to give it and how you're going to give it. 
but that should have been resolved by now. And I, I suspect that by end of January, we're going to be hearing less about stockpiles, if there is any, and more about whether we should be giving both doses at the same time within the time the frame that Pfizer has recommended, which is 21, to eight, 21 days or 28 days. And what about the whole second dose thing? I mean, uh, y- yeah. you know, are these second doses waiting for, uh, you know, waiting for uh, the timeline to to inject them? And, and again, the provinces that are ahead of Ontario are uh, BC and Alberta. I've lost my notes here, and and Quebec, and they are all jumping into that second dose. If I'm not uh, incorrect. Every province seems to be going a different approach on this, and every country in the world is going a different approach. According to Pfizer and Moderna, the, the, the producers of the vaccine, they strongly urge all countries that have secured the deal to make sure they follow the schedule they recommended, which is 21 days, depending on the vaccine, or 28 days. To, to be quite honest with you, I, I think that it'd be much uh, better advised for countries to make sure they stick that schedule. We don't want to be messing around with that. However... What some countries or some provinces here in Canada are trying to say is that we know that by giving the first dose, you have 50% effectiveness. But when you give the second dose within the time frame, you have 95% effectiveness. So the goal here is to get as many people vaccinated, given the stockpiles we have and how much we've been able to secure. Then let's give as much of the first vaccine out. And in the meantime, try to secure more doses for the second uh, dose to happen. Sorry, more vaccine for the second dose to happen. That's, again, putting massive pressure on the federal government to ensure there is enough vaccines come the second time around. Some provinces are worried that that won't be the case. Some provinces are worried that once we do give out all our first doses, we won't have enough for a second dose that is required. And so they're holding back on that, while others are deciding that they will move forward and take that risk and hope the federal government will be able to secure more. My, my, my instinct tells me that the federal government will be successful in securing more of the doses, uh, it's just a matter of time. So we, uh, Ahmad, we had talked way back before the holiday that January, February were going to be difficult months, uh, but, you know, before the vaccine is, is, is available and yet, uh, we're all indoors and post holiday, uh, gatherings and such. Well, here we are, uh, Jan 13, two weeks out of, uh, out of, uh, New Year's. Uh, we start, we're starting to see a leveling. I, you know, I don't want to say things are getting better, but at least we're not increasing at the same pace we were a week ago. Is, is there anything you can tell us? Is there anything we can read in the tea leaves here? Yeah, I mean, there is hope. Uh, and the hope is this, is that we are seeing a little bit less numbers than we did a few days ago, which is a great sign, A. And B, you know, we probably saw the high numbers because people over the holidays were not really staying at home and there were measures that we should have put in place that were more strict. Having said that, I think that coming forward, the majority of people are, really understand the severity of what we're going with right now. Uh, and I think that most people now, for the most part, will stay home and that will reduce the numbers. And so I won't be uh, utterly shocked if in a couple of weeks from now we see a drop in the numbers back to what we saw back in the fall. That's the hope for now. So obviously, um, obviously, uh, uh, many are questioning. Uh, well, we, we've seen through data that people are out traveling around as much as they were back in July. Uh, surveys saying that uh, up to a third of, of, of Canadians aren't really uh, addressing the protocol anymore. Is this messaging that we got yesterday? It kind of read Canada the Riot Act here, here's, or Ontario. Here's what we've got to do. Is that messaging going to resonate? Do you think? of how serious this now is. I think so. I think that people watch that closely to say that, okay, this is back to serious times, and that is the hope. Now, whether people will comply or not is entirely a different story. I mean, if anything, COVID-19 taught us is that, you know, rules and regulations are not always followed, and people, unless the messaging has been consistent and clear, people find uh, they lack trust in the message. And so this is an urgent appeal to the government to make sure they're consistent in their messaging so that we make sure that the public actually adhere to them. But another potential thing that I think closures of schools, Scott, plays a big factor. Mm -hmm. I think once we hear that schools are closed, for some reason, it indicates to people that this is really serious if we're closing even schools down. And I I suspect, I mean, this is not based on any uh, intel, but I suspect that the, the extension of closed schoolers will play an impact on the numbers that we have. All right, Dr. Ahmad Khalid has been with us, a medical doctor and health policy advisor. Ahmad, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Same to you. Thanks, Scott.
Uh, yesterday, I, day before I broke my tooth, I, I got to say hi to uh, Dr. Tabacall and everybody out at Maine West Dental, uh, Maine West and the Hammer. Uh, been the one there for a hundred years or so, and uh, man, you got to feel for these people that that do their work in a hazmat suit. It's like going to the dentist yesterday. That's the last thing I wanted to do during a pandemic: spittle and pieces of tooth flying around. I don't know how I didn't kill them all. Uh, anyway, uh, kudos to those that are doing that line of work and, uh, Dr. Tabacall and everybody else down there, man, it's, uh, you are on the front lines. That's for sure. So I'm walking around the hammer yesterday and, uh, out and about cause I can get out of my hole for this reason. And, oh, there's the dog going. And you know what I'm, I saw a lot of masks and gloves discarded on the side of the road. Like what is with that people? Like Really? Can you not just take your gloves and your mask if you take... I understand you get out of the place of business, you want to take it off or pull it down because you're going nuts. But to take it off and just throw it on the side of the grass or the sidewalk or what... Like, really? Is that what you want the hammer to look like? Like it's, you know, a bin uh, outside an emergency room door? Like, have some pride in your neighborhood, people. Uh, Nobody likes wearing a mask. But when you're finished with it, take it off. And put it in your pocket and take it home and put it in the grass or in the garbage. You know, you won't see medical hospitals throwing their waste all over the place. Why are you doing it? Please dispose of your masks in your PPE safely, not just out the car window. <sighs> From someone else who loves this great city. Uh, let's keep it beautiful, please. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Folks. There is no confusion here. It's very simple. Stay home. Stay home. That's it. If you're questioning, should I go out? You got the answer. Stay home. Restay à la maison. That's simple. And, and, and it's very, very simple. Stay home. Stay home. I don't know what more I can describe. There you have it. Confused? Stay home. End of story. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think he made the, the point um, uh, as eloquently as Doug Ford can simply by saying, if you have to ask yourself whether it's essential, it ain't. End of story. So, you know, I, I think that does uh, make it pretty clear as to what people are and are not supposed to do. Are the legalities? Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you slip around this, slip around that? Yeah, probably. But at the end of the day, uh, with the Emergency Measures uh, Act in place, that is up to the discretion of uh, bylaw, of uh, local police, and, and, you know, whoever you encounter, and they question why you're doing out what you're doing, uh, where you're doing it, and when you're doing it. So, um, you know, I, I, I guess, uh, I, you know, I think there's a lot of politics at play here. I think there's uh, a lot of people who uh, are, are not happy and have never been happy with uh, the Doug Ford government and uh, don't like to see him ahead of the game, which is the way he has been, as most leaders have during uh, this pandemic. And any chance to pull a, uh, a thread, they're going to do it. And, and, and again, we see this with the ongoing argument about uh, Ontario being slow to vaccinate, where Ontario is behind. Uh, British Columbia, Alberta, and Quebec, who are going into their second doses, which Pfizer and Health Canada say they should not do. So, uh, again, at the end of the day, we're in the middle of the pack, and uh, we're doing what we're doing, and um, people are looking for confusion. And if you look for confusion, you will certainly find it. But, again, uh, the Premier has said, stay home. Very simple. Stay home. And if you have to debate whether what you are doing is essential or not, then chances are uh, it is not. So that being said, I'm not sure if that offers any more clarity to people or, you know, especially law enforcement or bylaw people, anybody that uh, is now, uh, of course, out there on the front lines uh, trying to administer all of this while uh, protecting us. Let's bring in Dave Perry, security expert, CEO of Investigative Solutions Network, Inc., and a former police officer. He is with us now. Dave, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Doing well. Hope you are as well. So, Dave, let's start with, uh, you know, being in, put into an emergency situation. What does that mean? How does that change things? Well, it changes things a fair bit. You know, like every frontline worker that's out there working through the pandemic, you know, police resources are stretched to the max. And um, now they have a duty, because it's a written law, an emergency order, to enforce that order. I'm going to tell you right now, there's not going to be a, 
the whole community of law enforcement getting out of bed tomorrow morning being excited that they are going to work so that they can enforce this order. Yeah. But the reality of the position they find themselves in is that it's the, their duty bound to do it. They're instructed by the premier, and it flows all the way through the, the various chiefs of all the services across Ontario, and, and they must do enforcement. So I don't think they're going to be happy about it, and I'm guessing some of the anti-maskers and people that are you know flouting the, the order are not going to be happy about it either. It's a, it's a lose-lose situation for police officers. Um, but it is something that I think most people will agree might be necessary based on where the numbers are going and the number of people that are, are not following the order. Uh, many said after the uh, news conference yesterday that what the premier was saying was was really nothing. There's no curfew, um, uh, no real formal lockdown or such. But really, as you said, it is a substantive change, but it's a legal change. Yeah, it is. It's an emergency order which gives, uh, you know, police officers the power to stop and and investigate and, if necessary, write tickets to people that they find moving about that seems, uh, you know, out, outside of the, the order. So, I mean, if, if you're going to work, you could be stopped and you, you could be be asked to state your purpose for, for traveling about and you better have it documented and have a good a good reason for doing it, or you you could get a ticket. Now that's that's certainly nothing. Again, when I was a police officer, if I was facing this situation, it's nothing I'd be excited about going to work for. That's that's yeah. not what police officers want to do. It's it's a massive deviation from you know the standard everyday law enforcement that we're we're involved in, and this won't be fun for anybody. And as I said, it's a resource issue as well. So I think what you're going to see is is a couple of things. Number one. You know, the the day of the warnings is over. So people that are truly, you know, just thumbing their nose to the order, not not doing the things that they, they are supposed to, those people are going to get tickets. I don't think you're going to see warnings being issued. You will see discretionary powers being exercised by police officers who hopefully will use common sense, and I trust that they will, you know, especially when it comes to marginalized communities and homeless people and people that just can't avoid you know, actually uh, disobeying the order through circumstances that they can't control. Um, I think that people that make sort of innocent mistakes will be given a bit of a pass, but we all know that 30% of our population are, are you know, flouting these regulations yeah. and, and now this order. So those people are going to get some tickets. And it's not, again, it's not a pleasurable job, but it's it's a necessary job. Many uh, complained yesterday that this was too vague, that this is not clear, that nobody really knew what to do. And then today the premier came out and, and basically said, stay home. And if you have to ask yourself whether it's essential or not, chances are it's not. Um, is this clear now? Is it? Are people aware or does this create more confusion? Oh, I think it's clearer now. But here's the thing. Most laws that get enacted both at the provincial and federal level, you know, they, they take years to enact. There are yeah. committees, there are lawyers, everybody looks at all of the things we're talking about, in, including the communication piece. And unfortunately, in an emergency order, <clears throat> that job is maybe not done as well as it, it should be under normal circumstances, but it is an emergency order. So people are just going to have to abide by the, the real messages is that, you know, it's essential leaving your home only and if you're leaving your home for any other purpose, then you could be subject to, you know, being stopped by the police or by law enforcement. You could be asked to identify yourself, state the purpose of your business, and you could receive a fairly hefty fine for not following the order. But you know what? Here's what I'd, you know, I'd like people to understand. I, I said this earlier today is that, you know, again, the police are not excited about having this new task. The police are like everybody else, if you... Yeah, exactly, talk. Dave. Here's one more thing for the yes, police exactly. to do when we're complaining that they're doing too much. I mean, my goodness, it never ends for them. Yeah, I mean, if you took our already overstressed frontline workers from the hospitals and suddenly gave them a massive task, that in, in, amongst the pandemic now you're also going to do the following things, I think there'd be quite a human cry and a pushback. And I think the same sort of sentiment is from policing, but of course they're sworn and they have a duty and they, they will do their job. But you know what, if you look at the, the pandemic, how it's, you know, impacting everybody, that also includes police officers, right? They're part of the yeah. community, the community or the police. They're suffering from isolation, just like everybody else. It's not fun for them to go to work, for example, and, and have their police stations, no public access, 
you know, admin support workers who are vital to policing are working in one end of the building and they're not allowed to mix or mingle with the uh, frontline officers because of, you know, the, the risk. So there's isolation going on within the police stations themselves. And then on the streets, they're being forced to get way too close to people that they don't yeah. want to get close to during calls for service that they, they are mandated to attend. And everything that I'm hearing in, in the many officers that I speak to every day is that the call calls for mental health issues and drug-related issues are right off yeah. the dial. So they're dealing with a marginalized community that, you know, of course, they are at high risk themselves, and therefore they place the officers in high risk when they have to interact with them. So it's a tough spot for everybody to be in, but uh, everybody's suffering from COVID burnout, and, you know, hopefully people will be calm, people will cooperate, but my guess is we're going to see some video coming over the next few days where people are going to accuse officers of being excessive and enjoying giving out tickets for this kind of stuff when, quite frankly, it's it's work that they prefer not to be engaged in, but they're forced. It's an emergency order. And this is 24-7. This isn't like after 8 o'clock. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Yeah. I mean, of course, we don't have a curfew. Yeah. So people that we see out and about, they need to have a legitimate reason. If, so this if, would be if this I'm, has got to be so difficult, Dave. Though for the average, mm-hmm. you know, cop on the beat, so to speak, you know, you're sitting there. Uh, let's say right now it's one forty nine this afternoon. Uh, in the afternoon, uh, let's say it's already been in place. You're sitting there. You're in. Say you're outside a, a strip mall parking lot. You could literally start going up to everybody and saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? That could well happen, couldn't it? It could, but, you know, you're going to make an assessment based on the activity. Right. So, for example, if you're in a strip mall and all the stores are closed because they're mandated to be closed and there are people just hanging around, well, yeah, yeah, they they could be investigated and they could be handed, handed a ticket for just hanging around. But if somebody says, well, I'm here because the alarm went off, I work for an alarm company, I'm waiting for the key holder, that's Mm -hmm. a legitimate purpose, right? So there's going to have to be a lot of common sense and discretion applied to the enforcement of this new regulation. But it's uh, it's short-term. People just need to get over it and realize that we are in the position we are in for certain reasons. Uh, The government has the right to enact these kinds of emergency powers and you know, for me personally, I'm just I'm just staying the hell home. I, I have no intention of going, yeah. going anywhere, and and putting myself or my family in a position where you know we could be subject of an investigation and perhaps a ticket. So people just need how to do you police it. this outside? You know, kids outside, people outside walking. Um, I, I guess is if you see groups of people together, you you go up and investigate. Yeah, you go up and investigate. And like I said, I think the day of the warnings that started back in. You know, March and April uh, are gone, and I think um, the uh, let's just say the will of the province, and especially coming out of the premier's office, that that will is broken in terms of you know issuing warnings and just trying to guide people into their homes and to to follow the order. I think we're in an enforcement stage now. The public has been educated. You know, you can say that this isn't clear, but the the, the public has been educated for over ten months on this issue now. We're into a new emergency order. It's in my view, it's it's fairly clear. There will be discrepancies. I'm going to guess that there'll be the odd person that's going to get a ticket that's going to argue strongly that they shouldn't have, and that's what the courts are for. They they can they can certainly mount a defense and go to court, but the reality is there's going to be there's going to be some tickets handed out, and people aren't going to be happy about it. You talked about resources being an issue. What do you think some of the challenges are going to be moving forward? Well, you know, I stay very connected to policing and law enforcement through my private business. And I still, you know, consider myself a lifetime member of law enforcement. And I have a a great vested interest in everything to do with policing. And I can tell you that the resources in policing are so stretched today. And it's not unique to Canada or even the GTA, or sorry, to Toronto and even the GTA. It's, It's across the board right across the country. And to add these kinds of tasks, and pressures. I, I just don't know how they're going to do it. And and I, I suppose the only way they can do it is that certain things that would be normally expected to be covered off in policing in the past just simply won't. And, you know, the the calls for service, there's going to be, you know, prior, priority 911 calls that may be delayed in terms of response time. There may be functions of the police, as I said, like taking reports for certain offenses that will no longer be done or will be go into a queue and be done by telephone perhaps weeks after the offense. They, they have to manage 
the resources as best they can and respond to the priority issues. And I, I can tell you that the order came down from the Premier. We're in a, an emergency lockdown. It, it has now become a priority for police officers to enforce that order. Wow. This just gets more and more complex with every passing day. Dave Perry is with us, security expert, CEO of Investigative Solutions Network, Inc., and a former police officer, uh, talking about the uh, stay-at-home order. And uh, Premier Doug Ford, very clear uh, in his news conference today, and saying if you have to make the judgment whether it's essential or not, it probably is not. The message is clear. Stay home. Dave, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Pass that along to all your friends in law enforcement. Likewise, stay healthy, stay safe, and other than going to work, stay home. 153-900-CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. News on the way. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900-CHML. All right, let's bring in Dr. Graham Dodds, Concordia University Professor and Associate Chair, Department of Political Science, and is with us now. Graham, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Doing well. Happy to be with you. Uh, it's uh, interesting to look what's uh, going on uh, at the other side or on the other side of the border. Your thoughts on where we are with this impeachment, and um, it, it seemed as if the Republicans uh, were waiting to see how low Donald Trump would stay, and he spoke out yesterday, and that seems to have inflamed more. Uh, your thoughts on this impeachment? Yeah, this is this is a pretty big day, pretty historic day. It seems that in the next few hours, Donald Trump will be impeached for the second time, and uh, this has not happened before. Impeachment is very rare, let alone for the same individual to have it done twice. And uh, this time around, there will be a number of Republicans who who come on board with the Democrats and say, "Yeah, he should be impeached." Uh, last I heard, there will be six members in the uh, House Republicans who go along with the Democrats, so he will definitely be impeached today, and it will be in a bipartisan fashion. And then the question is, so what? What happens? You know, he'll be gone in what six, seven days next week. Uh, between now and then, will the U.S. Senate even meet and convene and take this up? And if so, what will their decision be? Uh, many questions. And you brought this up, and many are saying, uh, especially on the Republican side, that he's only in power for a few more days. This is obviously going to take longer than this, so this will not be responsible from removing him from power. So why do this? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think after last week, most people said he needs to be taken to task. He needs to be held to account in some fashion. And then the question is how to do that. You could encourage him to resign and step down, but that wasn't going to work. You could uh, impeach him and then seek to remove him from office. And as I said, it's not clear if that last step will work. Um, They thought about trying to get Vice President Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment, which is a means by which a president can be gotten rid of. And uh, Pence was not inclined to go along with that. So what else are you going to do? I mean, after he's out of office, you could charge him with uh, treason, perhaps. But um, there's no sort of mechanism in the U.S. to get rid of a president quickly. There's no uh, non-confidence vote. That just doesn't happen in the U.S. So uh, it looks like it's impeachment. So, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here. So the difference here is if they impeach him, he cannot run again. Is that what this is about? Because even Mitch McConnell alluded to getting rid of the Trump movement, and this would do that. So is this all about preventing him from running again? Uh, It's it's all enormously complicated is what it is, God forbid. But can that be the case? Is that necessarily the case that if he is impeached, then automatically he doesn't run again? No, you can be impeached and not removed from office. That's happened to Trump. You can be impeached and removed and then run again. There is a school of thought which interprets some old distant cases in such a way as to say, if you are impeached and removed from office, you cannot then run again or you can't hold any public office or something like that. But it's just not clear. It's just not clear. And I really think it's unlikely. I mean, I've been wrong with Trump before, as have so many others. But I think it's very unlikely that after he's impeached today, the Senate will meet, let alone vote to convict him, as it were. That would require 17 Republican senators to go along. And I think they could get a couple. I mean, last time Mitch Romney went along, uh, they could probably get a couple more, but I don't think they'd get the supermajority required to remove him from office. So, you know, at the end of the day, what is it? Is it a uh, sort of dramatic slap on the wrist? Yeah, it's at least that. But no president wants to go down in history having been impeached, let alone impeached twice. Um, I think Mitch McConnell would like something to happen so that it can accelerate the break 
uh, from Trump, uh, that the Republican Party can finally put Trump in its rearview mirror and uh, get on to something a little bit more like what they used to do before Trump. Expand on that a bit, uh, Graham, and, and Mitch McConnell, uh, his view on this. Obviously, he's he's incredibly upset with this. He just wants Trump to go away. Uh, but do, do the rest in the Republican Party feel the same way as Mitch McConnell? I think there's a real divide, to be honest. And I think this is something very interesting to look at going forward. The last four years, there are very few Republicans who would ever say anything even remotely critical about Donald Trump. And now they're starting to do so. Uh, we've got at least six and perhaps a dozen or more members of the House who are Republicans who are going to vote to impeach him today. If it does go to the Senate, there will be at least one and perhaps a half dozen Republican senators who say, yeah, he's got to go. Um, and going forward, um, I think Republicans, many of them want to break from Trump, but many are still afraid. Look, a lot of Republicans are still living in fear of Donald Trump. They worry that if they do something to displease him, that he will call them out, uh, perhaps not on Twitter anymore, but in some fashion, and he'll support someone to go against them uh, in the next election, perhaps give money to that individual. Many Republicans are still living in fear of him. Mitch McConnell has sort of turned the page and said, boy, it'd be nice to have this guy in the rearview mirror, just move on to something else. But uh, we're not quite there yet. So it'll be interesting to see how many Republicans are willing to break with him and say, this president has no clothes. The emperor has no clothes. I'm not afraid of him. Uh, this is not what the party of Lincoln stands for. Let's get rid of him. Donald Trump pretty much silent since this whole thing went down until yesterday. He did come out earlier and read a speech that you could, uh, a prepared speech that you can tell was not uh, was not from him. Uh, yesterday he came out and he started to rile things up again. Uh, started to say that this was all a witch hunt and so on and so forth. And basically the same thing he's been saying since the beginning of his presidency, no matter how the situation changes. So uh, did him speaking out yesterday and still sort of poking the bear of all of this how how concerning is that and is that uh something that will uh that will trigger more action from the republicans you know it's hard to say he's not doing anything new right this is the sort of nonsense he's been doing his, his entire adult life let alone the last four years uh, people who are waiting for Donald Trump to grow up, uh, it's just not going to yeah. happen. Come on, it's just not going to happen. Um, now, without access to Twitter, he's been rather more quiet. And in fact, by Trumpian standards, he's been pretty subdued ever since the election itself, um, mm. not ranting and raving quite as much as he had been. So I, I don't think that's going to stop. I expect no matter what happens today, over the next six days, he's going to continue to do his, his Trump stuff as he does. And even after he leaves office, he'll do some of that. Uh, but I think with each passing day, he matters less and less uh, for the Republican Party and uh, for the United States more generally. Uh, that was my next question. Do you feel that his popularity is waning, or is this going to continue to split the party? Could we see a Tea Party thing? Could we see this party divided and split itself? I think the answer is both. Uh, I think he will continue to decline in popularity, and indeed a poll the last couple of days shows that uh, he's really going to exit office at quite a low point indeed. His support has been pretty constant uh, throughout the last four years, somewhere between 42 and 44 percent of Americans usually approve of what he's doing, which is a very low uh, level of support uh, by historical standards in the United States. He's been an historically unpopular president from day one, and it seems he's going to exit the presidency on a low point. But, um, you know, there are still people who support him, including not a few members of Congress. They're still not prepared to say anything critical of him. They don't want to anger him. How does his base feel post-riot? I mean, does he still have that kind of control? That's a good question. Uh, I just don't know. I don't know. Um, there really hasn't been any polling done on that of late. No. I mean, if you were to conduct a poll of the various uh, quasi-right-wing groups, sure. Proud Boys and others, what would they say? There's always been a sort of indirect uh, uh, connection between the two, a kind of wink and nod, and uh, not clear lines of uh, you know affinity or communication. Uh, I, I have to think that element is not going to go away overnight. It might become uh, somewhat more quiet, uh, especially after the events of the last week. But we'll see. I mean, just yesterday, there were reports that you know there might be more violence in D.C. next week when uh, Biden is inaugurated and there's some talk of people trying to storm the 50 state capitals. Maybe that's just alarmist. Maybe that's not going to happen. I obviously hope it doesn't happen. But there are a lot of uh, extreme folks out there who for the last four years have been encouraged by the president. Now, he won't be encouraging them as president for much longer, but um, they will not go away overnight, I'm afraid. 
How concerned are you about the the call for armed protest at the various capitals throughout uh, all 50 states? And and obviously we saw the breakdown in security. Uh, what happened at Capitol Hill? What about the inauguration? Uh, is how concerned is America about this happening again? It's concerning, at least at the level where it has to be something that is discussed and taken seriously. Who would have thought in 2021 the United States of America could be talking, could be talking about armed surrection in the Capitol and in all yeah. 50 states? How absurd. But nevertheless, that's where we are after four years of Donald Trump. So I would like to think that people will take it a little bit more seriously this time around and be a little bit more prepared. I think one of the stories out of last week, aside from the president inciting this mob, was the fact that they were able to penetrate uh, the Capitol building and do what they did. It was a colossal breakdown in security, which after 9-11 is not supposed to happen. Things are supposed to be very, very secure. People are supposed to plan for this. There are a lot of resources and attention devoted to it. So there was a catastrophic failure of plan. And then even once things went south, a, a failure to respond in quick uh, fashion. So I would hope there have been lessons learned over the last week. Uh, just today we're seeing images of uh, National Guard throughout Washington, D.C. So at least in the nation's capital, I think they will be rather more prepared. What do you think Donald Trump's going to say between now and inauguration? Boy, predicting what Donald Trump is going to say is never an easy thing to do. So, so, so I'll jump in there, Graham. I'll jump in there, Graham, and say at least once more he's going to incite people to do this. I mean, he did it the last time he spoke, and that's not at Capitol Hill, but even when he stood up and he said, this is all a witch hunt. Yeah, uh, I, I, I really don't like to make predictions where he's involved, especially, yeah. you know, when he is so angry. He has only had seven days to go. He obviously feels the world has treated him so unfairly. Pity the poor billionaire president. He'd said such a rough lot in life. Um, so God knows what he's going to say. What about uh, the brand? And, I mean, there, there's talk that his kids have great plans for, for office, whether it's Junior or, or Ivanka. What about this brand and the kids moving forward? Uh, yeah, well, I'm sure they have all sorts of ambitions and desires. Uh, you know, Representative AOC, uh, this uh, member of the so-called squad, progressive uh, Democrat from New York, has said she's taking a list of anyone involved in this presidency to ensure that henceforth they will be persona non grata in public service, that if you had anything to do with this guy, if you supported him in any fashion, if you failed to call him out when you should have, your your privileges in public life are up. You can get a job in the public in the corporate sector, the business world, but no more governance. And you know, usually that sounds rather uh, what McCarthyan or uh, Orwellian, yeah. even. Um, but I think there are more than a few people who are sympathetic to her. Anyone who had anything to do with keeping this guy where he was and inciting him, enabling him, not calling him out, um, I, I would hope they have no future in politics. Uh, he still obviously had uh, or has a lot of followers. What happens to them uh, once this impeachment goes through? Is it hell in the streets? Uh, yeah, here again, I, I, I don't know, and I obviously hope not. Yeah. Um, but it's a, there's a split now, right? It's not just Republican and Democrat. There's a split in the Republican Party between people mm-hmm. who are finally willing to step forward and say, this was a bridge too far. This is where we draw the line. If we don't draw the line here, what do we do? Um, so I, I have to think that that's going to hurt his support, that that's going to cause some members of his base to think twice before doing something foolish like last week. But, uh, you know, hoping for reason among some of these folks is, I'm afraid, uh, something of a fool's errand. Uh, what happens to uh, supporters of Trump like uh, the Lindsey Grahams, uh, the vice president, Mike Pence? Um, you know, Pence, one of his most loyal supporters, and then tries to just do what his job is and, and gets called out and yeah. screams of, of uh, you know, request to hang the guy. Uh, where does it leave Republicans like that? Yeah, um, already these folks are starting to push back a bit against the president, trying to ensure that they might have a political future in the post-Trump world. Um, But it's going to be hard. I mean, Mike Pence for four years did absolutely nothing, just sat by stoically as Trump mouthed all sorts of horrible things, did all sorts of controversial, unprecedented things, and and now he's all of a sudden the voice of reason. Um, Or Lindsey Graham, who was critical of him and then enabled him, or uh, Senator Ted Cruz, who had horrible things to say about Trump when he was fighting him for the nomination four years ago, but then stepped into line and was prepared to defend Trump's bogus claims about election fraud just a week ago. How do these people sort of resurrect their career? How do they now step away from him and uh, distance themselves from from Trump, uh, it's sort of rats from a sinking ship, you know. Um, and frankly, Americans tend to have short 
uh, memories. So I'm sure some of these folks will be able to put this in the past and continue to have some effect, some effect in uh, political life. Um, but others, I don't know. I mean, there's reports today that some of the uh, people who stormed the Capitol had some assistance early on from some Republican lawmakers. I would think there'd be calls for those people to be drummed out of Congress and prosecuted. Will we hear more from Mitch McConnell between now and uh, Inauguration Day? Yeah, that's a good question. We'll see how many Republicans vote for this thing this afternoon. Um, There have been reports just today that he might be willing or he will not rule out the possibility of calling the Senate back to start hearings on removal from office before Biden's inauguration. I don't know if that's going to actually happen, but the fact that he seems uh, at least open to it or is publicly floating the possibility suggests that, uh, you know, maybe it could happen. I I think this is McConnell trying to carve out room for uh, members of the Senate, Republicans who want to be critical of Trump, to be critical. I think it's also McConnell trying, again, to accelerate the uh, Republican Party's uh, move after Trump. He really wants Trump in the rearview mirror. I mean, he'll be in the minority next week. um, But still, I think many Republicans would like to get back to the normal Republican Party uh, that existed until four years ago. What's next for the Republican Party? Where's their future? I mean, some have said they're dead for a decade. Uh, yeah, a decade's a long time in politics. It is. Uh, it's hard. Once you lose a presidential election, you don't really have a leader, right? I mean, there are going to be prominent Republicans in the House and the Senate and, and in governorships across the country. Uh, but it's going to be, I think, two years hence when people start jockeying for position for the next presidential election, which is going to really start going only two years from now. That's when we'll start to see which way the Republican Party is going. If it's at that point and it's still sort of Trumpian populists who are garnering all the support, well, we'll still be in a Trumpian world. Uh, We'll see if two years from now there's much of a market for moderate, sober, reasonable Republicans. I would like to think that's going to happen, but I just don't know. Have we learned anything from this, Graham? From Donald Trump? Oh, boy, there's a book in there somewhere, but uh, I don't know. You know, many many said that we, you know, divisive world, it's this or that, it's left or right, it's this team or that team. Has this, has this, will this unite in some way? One can hope. And, um, you know, I think Joe Biden, if that's going to happen, is a good guy for it. He is good at connecting with people on a personal, emotional, human basis. He's good at uh, being civil and friendly with people on the other side, which, you know, that's not saying much, but these days that's an important skill to have. So um, I think America is always going to be a divided country. It's a two-party system, so necessarily about half the country is always angry after an election when their person loses. Still, one would hope it would be a little bit less divisive or at least a little bit less violent and perhaps a little bit more civil. I don't think that's too much to ask. Here's hoping. Dr. Graham Dodds with us, Concordia University, Professor and Associate Chair, Department of Political Science. Graham, I don't think it's over yet. Thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. Restay a la maison. That's simple.